the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible to proclaim it. The prophets didn't, and that was the major theme. Jesus Christ is the center of biblical revelation. They didn't understand it all, but they shared it. You don't need to understand everything. You don't need to be able to defend everything. It's a good thing if you can defend certain things, but you don't have to concentrate on that. There's a place for that, but you just need to believe it and share it. D.L. Moody said that he studied the Bible like he ate fish. He said when he ate fish and he came across certain parts that had bones in it, he would just put it to the side. And he would go on eating the parts that weren't difficult. doesn't mean we don't share these things, but when we come to a part that we don't understand, we just for the time put it aside. We don't perplex our minds about it. We can search it out. We can think about it. But you don't fret over it. You just share it with others. Let God take care of that. It's his truth. You don't need to understand everything in order to share it. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we are going to look at trials and suffering from a different point of view. That is the point of Jesus. As we do so, we are going to explore what some of the Old Testament prophets said about a suffering Messiah. Certainly, from the viewpoint of a typical Jewish person in the first century, The idea of Messiah was someone who was all-conquering. So how does a suffering Messiah mesh with a conquering Messiah? Well, hang on. We're going to jump into that on today's program. We're in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 13, as well as some other passages. Here now is Pastor Steve. How could a reigning king and a suffering servant be the same person? The Jewish rabbis didn't understand it, and to this day, they still question that. And many rabbis have come up with the thought that there are two different messiahs because it seems so irreconcilable to have a reigning king and a suffering servant. You read Jewish history and you see how they interpret it. And they interpret, many of them, that you have two different messiahs. Can't be the same person. The prophets knew better than that. But they wanted to know, how does it work? I don't understand it. How could the righteous one be the suffering one. You see the question there? How could the righteous one, the king, also suffer? They asked that question, just as Peter's readers did, just as you and I have asked. But keep in mind, they didn't have, on a permanent basis, the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. Up till that point, they only had the Spirit of God upon them at certain times and for certain reasons. And the Holy Spirit is the great illuminator. He's the one who takes the Word of God and opens it to us. 
The prophets didn't have that. They didn't understand it. And so it was perplexing. The greatest prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, Moses, none of them could figure it out. And I heard one man say that he believes, one pastor or one Bible teacher said, that he believes that when the contemporary prophets got together, all of them didn't live at the same time, but some of them did, when they got together, this is one of the things that they discussed. You can't prove that from Scripture. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? The prophets came together for a prophet's convention, so to speak, and discussed, what is this? I don't understand it. Now, let me apply this in your life. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible to proclaim it. The prophets didn't, and that was the major theme. Jesus Christ is the center of biblical revelation. They didn't understand it all, but they shared it. You don't need to understand everything. You don't need to be able to defend everything. It's a good thing if you can defend certain things, but... You don't have to concentrate on that. There's a place for that, but you just need to believe it and share it. D.L. Moody said that he studied the Bible like he ate fish. He said when he ate fish and he came across certain parts that had bones in it, he would just put it to the side, and he would go on eating the parts that weren't difficult. doesn't mean we don't share these things, but when we come to a part that we don't understand... We just, for the time, put it aside. We don't perplex our minds about it. We can search it out. We can think about it. But you don't fret over it. You just share it with others. Let God take care of that. It's his truth. You don't need to understand everything in order to share it. You don't need to feel as a witness for Christ. I can't explain the gospel because I don't know how, if they ask me a question, I don't know how to answer it. If they ask the prophets a question, what are you talking about? They wouldn't know how to answer it at that point. You don't need to know all the answers. You need to share the truth. Study the word of God. God will give you answers in the right time, in the right place and situation, but you don't have to worry about it. But then there's another thing. Not only did the prophets prophesy of it, but the Holy Spirit predicted it. Verse 11, they sought to know, the prophets sought to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Hundreds of years before it happened, the Holy Spirit predicted Christ's sufferings and glory. Hundreds of years. It wasn't just the prophets, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, a lot of these things are basic, and we're really leading up to something. And we want to cover this as quickly as we can and get to the heart and application and what it means for you and I. But the prophets didn't just speak on their own. The prophets spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Verse 19 of chapter 1. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure. More sure than what? More sure in the context of what Peter says, what our eyes could see and our ears could hear. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not that these men were speaking on their own interpretation. This isn't their opinion. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so the Holy Spirit predicted it, that this was going to take place. Not only that, the apostles proclaimed it. What started back with the prophets prophesying and the Spirit predicting has culminated in our day and age with the apostolic doctrine, and they have proclaimed it. We have the word of God. The New Testament is their proclamation to us. It was revealed to the prophets. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. In other words, they weren't predicting something that was going to take place in their time. 
They were prophesying something that was going to be for us. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you by those who have preached or proclaimed the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All three groups said the same thing, that Jesus Christ had to suffer first and then glory was to follow. Remember the apostle Peter, even Peter who's writing this, what a lesson he had to learn, where he said to the Lord, you will not go to the cross, you will not suffer. And Peter was the one who said, we want a kingdom right now. We want to set you as king. Jesus knew that he could never be glorified unless he went to the cross. And he said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't want God's will. You want your own will. That's what he said. And Satan wanted to thwart the cross and use Peter to say that. But Peter realized that it was necessary for Christ to suffer before he ever went to glory. The apostles didn't realize that for a while, but when they realized it and Pentecost came, that was their message. Christ died, he rose, he's glorified, now you receive him. Look at Philippians 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There is no resurrection. There is no glorification if you haven't suffered like Jesus. We're not talking about being put on a cross. But if you haven't entered into some of the things that Christ entered into. Now let me apply this. Let's deal with what it means in your life and my life in the 20th century. You and I are not to think that we're any different from Jesus. If he suffered, believe me, you're going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to suffer. You won't die on a cross, but your trials are valid and they're real, and you're going to go through some pain in this life. Suffering can easily turn into a pity party, can't it? I called up a friend this week, and I had my own little pity party with him. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And God dealt with me on that. Whenever you feel sorry for yourself, you think about the Lord Jesus. I want to share with you, and whenever you think you've got it bad, I almost entitled this message, And You Think You've Got Troubles. Nobody had troubles like Christ. Listen to this. In John 1, 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He made everyone. He made the world and they didn't even recognize him. Now that is not being a popular person. He came to his own, meaning his Jewish kinfolk. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. His own family rejected him. Now you've never had that, have you? Most of you have never had that. Maybe some of you have. His best friends deserted him. For most of his life, his brothers didn't believe in him. Just read John chapter 7. He didn't always have a place to stay. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The religious leaders of his day totally misunderstood him, even believing that he was of the devil. He was totally misunderstood. They thought that he was son from an illegitimate union. He was mocked, he was laughed at, he was misunderstood, he was ignored, he was accused of things that he never should have been accused of, he had a mock trial, he was spit upon, he was hit, he was scorned, he was abused, and you think you've got trials. You don't know what it's like to go through trials, and that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, therefore... 
Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, the men of faith, the women of faith, who have laid down their lives and they knew what it's like to suffer. That's the context. Hebrews 11. People who were sawn in two. History or tradition tells us Isaiah was sawn in two. Now therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, people who witness to what suffering is all about in faith, surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, which includes pity parties and self-pity and thinking that you're the only one who's going through a trial. And the sin which so easily entangles us, pity entangles you, feeling sorry for yourself does, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. You know the Christian life is a race. And do you know that when they ran back then, we don't do this, but back then, I believe that they ran without any clothes on. The Olympic runners, because they wanted to be free and as light as possible. No, I'm not suggesting you do that. But we are suggesting that the Christian life, you are to lay aside everything that entangles you. And notice here, he doesn't say just sin. He says, lay aside every encumbrance. There may be good things in your life that's not really sin, but they're entangling you. They're good things, they're not the best. And you can get entangled in those things. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. God has a race for you to run. Verse 2, how do you do it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the one who suffered, the one who knew what it was like to go through all the agony and suffering and the glory that followed. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You catch that? For the glory set before him, for the joy, he endured the cross. He went through it because he knew that he had to go through that in order to be glorified. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hands of the throne of God. Now catch this, for consider him who has endured such hostility of sinners against himself, such hostility like you and I do not know, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart, that you may not think that you're the only one who goes through a problem. Verse 4, this is beautiful, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, but he did. You don't know what it's like. You don't know all that Christ went through. But the principle that he's laid down is, you think you've got troubles, Jesus had troubles too, and it's necessary for troubles to precede glory. Now, isn't that a precious truth? Doesn't that cause you to have heart that, listen, I'm not alone in this. Somebody went before me. The man Christ Jesus, he's a high priest who he feels our infirmities. He knows what it's like because 2,000 years ago, he went through it. And he went through it to a far greater degree than you and I went through it. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all points, like we are, that he might understand what we endured and what we're enduring. But you know what? Through it all, he persevered, didn't he? He didn't quit. He persevered. Remember last week, we studied about that archaic word, perseverance. And we've had a question asked. We've had a question answered. Why do the righteous suffer? Because it's necessary to go to heaven to suffer a little bit. The Christian life is a life of suffering. It doesn't mean it's a life of not having victory. It means it's a life of victory in the midst of trials. We're to be a testimony to the world. If everything is going great in your life, the unsaved people can look at you and say, sure, everything is going great. They don't know what a trial is like. That's exactly what Satan said about Job. Sure, Lord, everything is going great in his life. Certainly he's not going to curse you now. But put a little pressure on him and see if he's faithful. It's when you have trials that you really stand out in the midst of a crooked generation. When you go through pain 
and agony and know what it's like to have trial and suffering and you share with a neighbor or friend, your testimony is that much more valid because Christ has delivered you and is your strength and encourager and comforter in the midst of those trials. Now let's apply this. Verse 13 of Peter. Turn back to Peter. Therefore, and whenever the Bible says therefore, he is taking the last thing he said and just pulling it and saying, based on what I've said, therefore this is true. Based on the fact that you must suffer, therefore gird your minds for action. It literally means gird the loins of your mind for action. This is an interesting term. In our culture, we don't think of it like this, but remember this was written back in an oriental perspective and amongst the Jewish culture and the Greek culture. The word for gird calls to one's mind an eastern expression referring to the act of gathering up around the waist the long, loose eastern robes which would impede one's progress. They had these long robes, whether it was a man or a woman, and if they were going to run, if they were going to act in any kind of a fashion, if they were going to be ready for action, they had to take these robes up and sort of tuck them away. They girded them up because, uh, you ever try running in a robe? It's very hard. How would I know? I've never tried that. But I'm sure it's difficult. You cannot run in a robe like that. You can't really be ready for action. And what Peter is saying is this, is that you're to have your mind ready to endure trials. Don't think it's strange, Peter says, when the fiery trial hits you. You and I are to be ready with our minds when trial comes. Now catch this. Satan walks like a roaring lion, doesn't he? Peter tells us later, walking about seeking whom he may devour. And you and I had better be ready for his attacks. You know, no general gets ready to go to war when war hits. If he does, he's not a good general. He prepares beforehand. That's what Peter is saying. Be ready. Be prepared for when Satan tries to get at your mind and tell you that you shouldn't suffer. That's what he's saying. It's a mental battle. One of the first areas that Satan tries to attack is your mind. And if he can get you to doubt God's goodness, and if he can get you to doubt that God has your best interests at heart, he's going to win the battle. What Peter is saying is this. You make sure that your mind is ready for those doubts. You make sure that your mind is so girded that you're ready. When those doubts hit you, you know that it's necessary to suffer. And he's not going to catch you off guard. That's what Peter is saying. You're involved in a spiritual battle. It's warfare. And we're to submit our minds to the word of God. You may not understand why you're going through a trial. But you know, God never said that you needed to understand it. God said you submit your mind to the word of God like the Old Testament prophets did. They didn't understand it. But they submitted, they obeyed, they did what was right. They obeyed God's word, his revelation. Let me advise you, when doubts come, don't entertain them. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, one that has helped me many a time when Satan would try to pick at my brain and try to get me to doubt, is 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. That's the context of Satan walking like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When he tries to get your mind to doubt God's goodness, don't entertain it. Don't dwell on it. When you focus your thinking on his doubt, for one thing, you're not as smart as Satan. You are not as intelligent as Satan. If you think you are, you're deceived. Let me set you straight. You are not as intelligent as him. That's why when temptation comes, you don't entertain it. You answer it according to the word of God. And one of the ways you can do that is by casting your cares upon him. Even the Lord Jesus didn't get into a mental battle with Satan. But he said, it is written. And don't you try to figure him out because you will lose every time. I heard of a little girl who said, when Satan knocks at the door, I just let Jesus answer. You let Jesus answer. 
he'll take care of it. It's a temptation all of us have, but if he gets hold of your mind, he'll warp your thinking. Keep sober in spirit. This means to be under control. It's the word we get really from not being drunk. That's what he's saying. Be under control. You know what happens when you're not under control, when you're not under self-control? You're under the control of fear, of panic. You're under the control of being fretful, of worrying. Peter says, listen, in the context of suffering, you can't afford to be fretful. You can't afford to worry. You're to go through this life being under control. Your control, God's control. Self-controlled. Don't be controlled by your fears. They'll devastate you. And then he says another application. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation or the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? In other words, don't concentrate on your trials. Like I said before, don't have a pity party. Don't look at you and say, nobody knows, like we said in the first message, the trouble I see and nobody cares. God says, get your mind off of yourself. That's one of the worst problems we have. One of the worst problems I have. Get your mind off of yourself. Don't concentrate on your trials, but on the glorification that will be given later. Fix your heart and your mind on what heaven's going to be like. Now, having said that, there's a trite expression that I disagree with that says, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. You know why I don't agree with that? Because it's not true. That's why I don't agree with it. It's false. If you are truly heavenly minded, the Bible says you're to fix your affections on the things above. The Bible says that in Colossians 3, and it says it here, you fix your mind on the glory that's to come at the appearing of Christ. If you really fix your mind on that, and I'm not talking about pseudo-spiritual fixing to only talk about those things, but if your mind is fixed on that, you are going to be earthly good. If your mind is not set on Christ, you're not going to be of any benefit here. So if anyone tells you that, that's not true. Now, there's the balance between being, like I said, pseudo-spiritual like that, But if you really have your mind fixed on the grace that's going to be brought to you, the glory that's going to come, then you will be of benefit in this earth because you'll walk with God. If not, you're going to fret and you're going to worry and you're going to think about yourself. Peter says, you fix your hope completely on Christ, not yourself. We live in the day and age of introspection. It's so depressing to think about yourselves, isn't it? To be introspective. God wants you to get your mind away from yourself. You know, the best thing when you go through a trial, when I go through a trial, you know how to just get your mind off of that is get involved in somebody else's problem. Help them. Don't think about yourself. You think about yourself, it really is discouraging. You think about someone else. When Satan starts dealing with you and giving you trials and discouragement, don't dwell on it. You'll be in trouble. You fix your hope on the grace that's to come. Father, When the trials come, and the persecutions come, and the suffering comes, we pray that you'll remind us of this, that it is necessary for people who walk with you to suffer, because the principle is that Jesus suffered, and it was necessary for him to suffer in order for him to be glorified, and it's necessary for us too. Remind us, Lord, when we think that our trials are so great that nobody understands, remind us that we have one who does understand, even Jesus who knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be criticized, to be slandered, to be physically abused. I pray, our Father, that you'll cause us as a congregation, as a people, myself as an individual, to fix our minds and our hearts and our vision upon Christ, that whenever we get to thinking 
that we've got it rough, that we might be reminded we have been strived with sin unto blood. Remind us of that. Cause us to fix our hearts upon him. And Father, we ask that you dismiss us now. Even as we've heard the word, dismiss us now to listen and take in these pictures that Sally will share. And we just thank you that this church stands for spreading the word of God. Move in our hearts to not think of ourselves, but to think about a lost and dying world. Cause us to be reminded that Christ Jesus suffered and came into this world to suffer to save sinners like us and sinners around the world. Give us that missionary vision. Give us that burden to be a part of the Great Commission, not that we might fulfill an obligation, but that we might glorify Jesus Christ as we obey the Word of God. So we pray this in His name. Amen. When trials come, did you notice how Pastor Steve explained how we should go through trials? There were several things he pointed out in 1 Peter. Cast your cares on Jesus. Don't concentrate on your trials. Instead, we are to think of our hope and fix our minds on Christ. I thought today's lesson was particularly helpful and encouraging. I hope you can join us next time for Verse by Verse, where we are featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. By the way, if you missed all or part of any of our previous broadcasts, you can get yourself up to date by going to versebyverseradio.org and checking the archives page for our past broadcasts. Please tell a friend about Verse by Verse and encourage them to join us next time as we continue with our study in First Peter. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.